1: Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing. And she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So,
2: can we cut the cake now? You betcha.
3: No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now. Now. Fight back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon
4: and welcome. This morning's throne speech had a lot to say about long-term care, but I didn't hear anything that was new as the Ford government reiterated promises to build 30,000 new and redeveloped beds and to hire thousands more personal support workers over a very long time. Time horizon. Some interpreted the sheer time spent on the issue as something of a mea culpa. We'll see what the Zoomer squad thinks. It came after a long overdue announcement on Friday of a mandatory vaccine policy for long term care. Um, and Friday, by the way, was National Seniors Day, a day when CARP called an emergency. So, what do you think? 416 toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's bring in David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, um, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer of CARP. Hey, guys.
3: Hello, Ruby. Hello, everyone.
4: So let us begin with the throne speech. Uh, David, uh, did you hear anything new on this file?
3: I'm not so sure whether it was brand new, but they did. They I thought it was a clever uh, speech in that they did mention a few specifics that will enable them to um, uh, claim to have performed, I'm thinking ahead to next June in the election. They say by April 2022, they will have added 16,200 more personal support workers to the health care system. That's a, a number that uh, can be measured and see whether they hit it or not. And if they do, I imagine they're going to trumpet that loud and clear. They also promised to bring in uh, legislation. I'm quoting here, introduce legislation to protect residents through better accountability, enforcement and transparency. The days when bad actors could get away with anything less than quality care for our most vulnerable will be over, and uh, CARP has demanded um, a return to um, unannounced inspections and fines and so forth, so um, I think that they're very aware of what they need to do and say uh, in the next election, Um, and I thought in that sense this was, uh, uh, I'm not saying breathtakingly new, but I think it was
5: tactically very uh, shrewd
4: it's you know when you mention that sixteen thousand number, I'm wondering how they're going to get there, and if they're if they're going to count replacing people who've left the profession
3: with that. Oh, oh no, no, the devil will be in the deed. I'm not I'm not being naive about it, but I thought it was interesting that they're floating some uh, future action that is quite. Uh, concrete and measurable, and within a time period, and it's very—it uh, seems to me very clear that they are well aware of, um, you know, what the next election is going to uh, include.
4: Bill, what's your take?
5: Well, I I agree with uh, David that it's interesting that they finally put some uh, goals that are that are less than years ahead uh in the in, in the speech uh you know most of the as you said most of the uh uh promises in it are old promises just being uh uh just being uh renewed uh i was interested though that they very specifically admitted they did not serve seniors well and and the pledge to uh to change that the first thing though that that hit me was that uh, uh, the quote says that the advice of the chief medical officer of health—they'll uh, seek to minimize disruptions to business and and families. The ultimate goal is to avoid future lockdowns. I certainly would have thought the ultimate goal would have been to keep our uh, loved ones safe and to uh, control uh, COVID. To put uh, that kind of business slant on it so so strongly is disturbing.
4: Hmm. Peter, how about you?
5: Well, you know the.
6: It, it's clear that the uh, this is this is the Ford government admitting that um, their their handling of long term care homes during the pandemic was disastrous, and the um, you know we don't need to go over all the reports and the military coming in and the deaths. And the outbreaks, and the you know the the measures that were countermanded and and uh, confusing, and just a whole litany of problems. And and here they are admitting that um, you know they, they're re, they're trying to reset the the issue and say, okay, going forward, this is what we're going to do. Um, you can measure it. Uh, you can see the money involved, and um, this is how we're going to solve it. So. So, in a sense, they're they're sort of owning up to their their biggest um, failure during the, the pandemic, and, and and I think it's probably good news. But but whether it's achievable or not, or whether they do achieve it, it, it remains to be seen.
4: David, uh, again, regarding that um, owning up, d- d- I mean, I heard a lot of, uh, you know, the usual line, it, it's been like this for decades, it's it's not just our government, but, but um, maybe uh, you heard something else?
3: I'm not sure that that it was uh, owning up because you're quite right they expressed it in terms of a general systemic you know we've all failed our seniors i don't think they said that we were uniquely bad and and but you know um i think more interesting to me is that i think they are taking it very seriously and one of the things that uh, i've noticed and of course they haven't publicized it loudly because you wouldn't expect them to. But if I think back to the early days of COVID, the real disaster of round one and round two of the um, impact on nursing homes, you know, very quietly, there's a new minister of long-term care, but there's also a new deputy minister of long-term care, and there's also a new chief public health officer. So some of the people we were harshly criticizing for their inept Response to the early uh, uh, phase of COVID, are you know, but, but moves off, and I think he's got a new team, and I think he's determined to, uh, uh, you know, do a better job. I also noticed that part of that uh, avoiding a lockdown, he did this throne speech did say that they're going to treat things on a more regional targeted local basis, and there were great differences in the response of different regions to this, and the new chief public uh, health officer, uh, I think, came out of Kingston or something, where, where he did do way better than Williams, his predecessor, did on a province-wide basis. So I think they're being very uh, aware of what they need to do, whether they can do it or not, I don't know, but I think they're very aware of what they need to do, and I think I'm I'm cautiously encouraged by this because I think that when CARP comes out with all guns blazing in June and demands this kind of action, accountability, I think that the government wants to be ready with some more things to say than just, uh, you know, more platitude. Uh,
4: Bill, uh, it comes on the heels of that announcement of finally a a mandatory vaccine uh, directive for long-term care workers. Uh, What did you make of that?
5: Well, you said it all, uh, Libby. Finally, they, they come out with, with, uh, a move that had been so patently obvious, uh, for so long. How could we keep our loved ones in long-term care protected if we didn't make sure that we were taking every step to make sure that COVID didn't get back in, uh, to those, uh, facilities? So, uh, the reaction of our CARP, uh, members in Ontario was, well, it's about time, and frankly, why hasn't they done this before? A bit of a, of a sigh of relief, uh, I guess, and hopefully yeah, it's not too little too late.
4: Uh, Bill, you, you had your emergency meeting on National Se- uh, Seniors Day on Friday. Uh, does, is, is anything from today here in Ontario making you think that uh, maybe it's less of an emergency or not?
5: Uh certainly no no less of of an, an emergency. The uh, uh what we're seeing in Ontario and right across the country is um, really a lack of attention to all the uh, not only the current issues around car uh but the consequences uh, of carp that have affected people uh, so well and governments have uh, been uh, ignoring that and 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 uh, still uh, uh seem seem to be the, these announcements today uh, and and last week are helpful in terms of a few small steps but they're all things that uh, carp and others have been calling for uh, for for months and months, it still still doesn't uh, uh, give us the the, uh, the confidence that governments are really concerned about all the needs of older Canadians and older people in Ontario.
4: Peter, you know, I, I'm going to be talking to a couple of the opposition leaders, but I didn't hear much from them either. On on long term care, at, at least the Ford government, there was a big hunk of that speech where they were actually talking about it. Uh, from from opposition, not so much.
6: No, well, I, I guess they were, they were looking for points of criticism, and um, they couldn't really criticize the government for ignoring the long term care issue because it was it was right there front and center. So I, I suppose they they were focusing on what wasn't in the speech and. Uh, and there was, you know, the speech was very short and, and not uh, heavy on specifics, as thrown speeches tend to be. So um, so I, I guess they'll, they'll be pointing out, you know, what the speech lacked. But but in terms of criticizing the government on long-term care, it, it's right in there. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're looking for another angle of criticism.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, David, I mean, uh, they obviously have their eye on the next election, which is uh, soon enough, June the 2nd.
3: It is. And I think one of the things, and again, I want to be careful, I don't want to sound like I'm a sort of naive optimist here, but there are some positive signs of the the underlying political reality, I think, not so much me being golly gee about the government. But um, we had uh, close to a thousand people registered for our national emergency meeting. We had about over 500 on, on Zoom at any one time. And the overwhelming sentiment was we're fed up with generalities we're fed up with runarounds we're fed up with the feds pointing to the, the provinces the provinces pointing to the feds and and everybody's giving us these vague assurances and meanwhile the clock is ticking and everything's still a mess so there was a lot of anger i noticed in this speech some markers that i think they are laying down we'll see whether they can achieve them or not they pointed out they voluntarily pointed out that from 2000 to 2019 the number of minutes spent giving personal care in in long-term care homes increased by only 22 minutes that's not good enough we're going to fix that uh they talked as i said earlier about uh penalizing the bad actors they talked about a specific target number of um personal care workers that they're going to add so uh, I got the feeling it's almost that they were listening in on our call on CarpsCon. Saying, you know, these guys, we can't, we can't fob these people off with good intentions anymore. We've got to deliver concrete specifics. And I think they really uh, laid down some markers that they're going to be. They, they think they're going to be able to say, look, we said we were going to do this, and we did do this. Now I don't know whether they can do it or not. But I thought from a political point of view, uh, it would. Shrewd, and I almost got the feeling that they were listening in on our meeting. Maybe they were. We, Who knows? No, we, may, may, we can't run it. We, we're not going to get reelected if we just uh, uh, don't respond to this uh, anger and uh, suspicion that is out there. So, it, it in that would, sense, I felt a little bit vindicated. It, it would
4: be it would be by stealth. You know, here we we've made uh, numerous requests. to talk to the new new ish, long term care minister Rod Phillips, and we we've talked to him many times when he was environment minister, when he was finance minister. Um, I don't know if he's just uh, keeping his uh, powder dry, but Bill, do you think that all of this, and let's let's assume they'll follow through, uh, makes up for the fact that uh, because of the initial mess, like so many people died, we had the worst record of all the uh, industrialized countries.
5: Yeah, nothing, nothing that anyone does can make up for, uh, the, the horrible things that happened at the beginning of, of COVID when there, there was no, uh, planning. And, and, you know, the unfortunate part of that is that carpet other groups have been calling for years 15 years or more for the kind of changes that they're now uh, just beginning as david says to to uh, give some specifics about about uh, solving so uh, they could never make up for it, but if if in fact uh, they are going to follow through if they're going to meet these targets that they've set for themselves by uh, next uh, spring. At least that will be finally a start. A start to change healthcare in Ontario. A start to meet. You, you'll recall that uh, in in uh, February uh, uh, 2020, CARP had just launched a uh, a very dedicated campaign uh, seeking change in the way healthcare is. Uh, delivered, and that got put on hold because of uh, COVID. Maybe we can get back to that point where governments finally realize that uh, promises of long-term plans aren't enough, and they've got to start kicking off each of these uh, objectives one at a time until we're back on track for uh, solving a problem that will only get, uh, uh, get larger as we have more and more uh, seniors requiring these uh, services. So does this mean that the, the government and the bureaucracy are finally realizing that this is the time to begin? Uh, hopefully, that's the result. We'll see.
4: Okay, let's take a call from Sita in
7: Mississauga. Hello, Sita. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi. Thanks to Zoomer radio station, CARB team, guests, and most callers for months asking Mr. Ford, to make vaccine mandatory for those who work in long-term care. They ignore the real problem, why it took them so long. Why did they ignore the science that vaccine work? And it's against the law to endanger life. If they had done this months ago, visitors, frontline workers, care workers are taking the vaccine, so many more precious life could have been saved. Very sad and senseless loss of seniors. Of our seniors, because some people ignorance and selfishness, the blame and the guilt is on the government and the unvaccinated. Who so, could uh, and, do who I take had from had
4: that, Cita, that you're not going to forgive them no matter what they do?
7: Um, we can't forget, but we got to be cautious. Like it scares people to think of wanting to go and retire in these homes when this happens
4: yeah most people now don't want to they will do anything to avoid it
7: exactly and stay at home so i do hope also that this vaccine mandatory mandatory is it includes home care because there's so many seniors living at home that need care and workers have to go in and out it
4: doesn't it doesn't include them
7: see and then they're not solving the problem why are they being ignored
4: um, it's, it's a whole other department. Sita, thanks for your call. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, um, that's, you know, one of the things, whatever it is they're doing is taking a very traditional approach. They're focusing on beds. Um, they're focusing on the model of uh, whatever, a 32-bed unit. They're not um, listening to all the new models that are around, David.
3: Well, they're, not, they're certainly not mentioning them. And um, I don't know what whether they're listening or not listening. I can't believe that inside the ministry they're not aware of the importance of home care and the importance of... Uh, uh, other models of uh, home care than the existing nursing homes. They did say in the speech, and I think that I'm making kind of a, a little bit of political guesswork here, frankly, Libby, I think they're trying to wrap their arms around years and years of neglect that precedes them. Like we've all failed it's society's fault, if you will, because they say I'm quoting from the speech here um, uh, but more beds aren't enough on their own. Ontario has for too long lagged in delivering quality care to long-term care home residents. So they're they're making a mea culpa, but they're extending it into, like, previous regimes, and they're finally going to be the one uh, that cleans this up. And so I think they're trying to preempt the other, you know, parties from saying, hey, wait a minute, you guys were in power before us and it was just as bad. Here are the things we're doing. And um, it'll be up to us to see whether they do them or not and how how successfully they do them. But I, th- I think this speech is just one big, gigantic marker for the uh, election campaign of next June.
4: Um, to uh, one of the no- notes here, and, and uh, a couple of things. So we haven't seen Doug Ford on this yet. And uh, amid all this, um, you know, they had this one woman, MPP, who yeah. lied about her vaccination status. So they they uh, they dumped her as a parliamentary secretary, which is costing her sixteen thousand six hundred dollars. So I guess that's a pretty good fine. Uh, but they're saying she's an important member of caucus. And by the way, she has a, a handy dandy medical exemption uh, Peter, what does this whole little episode say to you?
6: Well, it's it's i uh, it's the the government trying to you know struggling with what to do with someone who misrepresents their vaccine, you know, status without coming down too hard like uh you know, you know, uh, removing them completely from the government, kicking them out of the government. And um and, and they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place because they, on the one hand, she did mem- uh, sort of, she didn't lie about it, but she sort of hedged her status. She did And lie. They're, they're saying, okay, we're going to be strict, but we're not going to be, you know, we're, we're not going to give her the death penalty. So, you know, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They have to appease the anti-vaxxers still who make up a large portion of their uh, electorate or, or their, the you know
4: I don't know about large but well allowed loud Okay, definitely. a large
6: portion of whom would be Ford supporters let's say and um, so they they have to speak on <laughs> both sides of their mouth and, and, and I think that's what they're doing here.
4: Uh, Bill, I mean do you think that is a is that just sort of a, a, a one day controversy or is that something that you know people are going to remember?
5: I think uh, this is going to go on to haunt them uh, for some for some time, and I think they're they're trying. Sounds like they're trying to find a way out of it, and it's and it's going to be it's going to be difficult. They have you know the vast majority of uh, people strongly uh, believe the science, believe in uh, vaccination, understand that the, that's what we we need to have uh, uh, success, and for them to continue to in any way. Uh, Uh, Support the fringe elements who who still aren't uh, aren't uh, believing or or acting the way the majority want. It's going to be difficult for them in the long run.
3: David, I I, I'm a little bit skeptical about um, how long the negative effect of this will be. Because I think only because, not because I think it's a good thing, but because I think it will just get overtaken by other, by other headlines. I mean, nobody's, uh, well, you know, Rod
0: Phillips's
3: uh, dishonest uh, holiday that got him booted out of the cabinet. Uh, he, you know, he served his uh, time in the penalty box, and nobody's really dwelling on that anymore. So I'm a little bit more cynical about whether they're really going to pay a long-term. Uh, price for this. But I agree uh, that it is shocking. I agree they were caught between a rock and a hard place. But um they're hoping to get everybody paying attention to the deliverables that are promised in the speech and not paying attention to why uh, things were bad before. And I think that's very typical of uh, uh, of all governments, and of all, certainly of all throne speeches. Here's what we're going to do from now on, and uh, there's only a limited amount of time we want to parse all the things we could have, should have, would have uh, done in the past. I think it's a you know, pretty conventional political strategy at that point.
4: Hmm. Um, so, uh, Bill, does, does this position them well for the next election, in your view?
5: uh it uh, it certainly starts them in a, in a, in a direction that could position them well there's going to be a lot of water under the bridge before we get to uh the next June June the 2nd but what it does i think and i think that the thing we've really got to to watch is what this what we really need is a change in attitude in the bureaucracy the frontline people uh the the managers who uh, who actually have to carry out uh, the mandate from uh, uh, from the from the politicians and uh, and perhaps the one good thing that this speech from the throne is is a is a really good strong indication uh, to uh, uh, to the bureaucrats that there has to be change or other heads besides the uh, uh, the uh, the, de- the deputy minister will will roll and that's what we need to look at at now the the. The posturing of the uh, of, of the politicians uh, will only uh, be effective if the bureaucrats follow through, and that's what we've got to watch down.
4: Um, Peter, is it a good move that we're not seeing Doug Ford front and center?
5: Yeah, I, I think we got too much
6: from Libby during the pandemic, and you know any any. You know, he had too much screen time and it wasn't very positive his screen time his his body language is hor- horrific and uh, I, I think we need a break from him and and that's good
4: <laughs> David do you agree
3: I, I actually do agree I think it's uh, uh, he's going to be front and center again in June or the run-up to June and I think that uh, he wants to convey an impression that I've got a whole team here that's devoted to fixing what's what's broke, as it were, and whether he he can achieve it or not. But I think that they're really trying to uh, convey the impression that all of the engines are firing and they're all steering it in the same direction uh, more broadly than just one guy that's wearing it all. Uh,
4: Before we wrap things up, let's hear from Linda in London. Hi, Linda. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, just a quick comment. Uh, I think that, uh, in my opinion, we should start having a report card system for politicians, uh, provincially and federally uh, and municipally, um, and, and start having independent audits of all the promises that they make at the beginning and see how they're doing um just like any other uh process with an employer employee relationship um i think that's important and i th- i think we uh we hear far too much rhetoric far too much you know, deceitful and lies and and things like that that we don't want to listen to. We want the facts. Uh, We want to know what they've done so far, uh, what they have yet to do, and uh, if they're on the mark or not. And I think that's good for the politicians, and I think it's especially good for the taxpayers. Okay, well, that's an idea. That's what we're trying to do here, Linda. Thanks for your call. Okay, uh, 20 seconds each, starting with Peter.
6: Well, you know, the the one takeaway line uh, we haven't discussed in the throne speech was for promising that the um, economic and fiscal recovery will be fueled by economic growth and not by painful tax hikes or spending cuts. Now, I'm sure he won't put in any painful tax hikes or spending cuts before the election, but um, this recovery is going it, to it, it's going to happen at some point. And, uh, He's just um, he just threw that out there as, as an
5: election gambit. I think. Bill, let's watch carefully that uh, what the politicians says signals should happen does happen in the next month or so, and the bureaucrats have heard it and actually follow through on the actions that have been promised.
3: And David, I think this is a nod in the direction of Linda's comment, uh, which I completely agree with about tangible, concrete uh, benchmarks, because they did lay down a few markers in this speech, and I can only think that they laid down markers that they think they're going to hit so that they can, uh, you know, parade those uh, in the election campaign. So uh, to the extent that they're watching and maybe determined to produce some, some hard numbers, finally, I think it's a good sign.
4: Okay. Thank you so much to the Zoomer squad, Peter Mugridge, Bill Van Gorder, and David Kravitz. Talk soon. Thank you,
3: Libby. True. Thank you. Thanks,
4: Libby. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, liberal leader Stephen Del Duca.
2: Happy
1: birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing. And she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow.
2: So can we cut the cake now?
0: You betcha.
3: No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
4: Welcome back. Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca may have had the most colorful line of the morning when he said it's shocking that we had to wait so long to hear so little from doug ford after he had been in hiding for months so i leave it to the audience to say if that's a fair way to put it uh, again the numbers to call 416-360-0740 toll free one 866 740 and now let's go to liberal leader steven del duca hi thanks for joining us
1: My pleasure, Libby. Thanks for having me back on.
4: Okay. Well, uh, you say you were disappointed by this. What's your biggest disappointment?
1: Well, I think two or three things that really stand out for me. Number one, the entire throne speech today, the word education didn't appear a single time in any of the text or any of what we heard today. That's number one. To me, that's just completely crazy, given how much angst moms and dads and kids and teachers still have about what's happening in Ontario's schools. And uh, number two, nothing about $10 a day licensed child care after we've just come out of a federal campaign where the overwhelming majority of Ontario families voted in favor of that policy. And we're one of the few holdouts in Canada. We don't have a deal in place. And number three, given how hard essential workers have, have re- literally kept Ontarians safe and, and the province moving during this pandemic, really shocked that there was nothing in today's throne speech that suggests there will be more protection for them and so those, those are the three things. But beyond all of that, just the fact that it was a lot of empty rhetoric after we waited so long to hear what Doug Ford's plan is for the balance of this fourth wave in our recovery.
4: Um, we were just talking to our Zoomer squad, and they were a bit surprised that we didn't hear you have very much to say about long-term care. And there was quite a lot about that in the throne speech. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, there was a, again, but like when I talk about empty rhetoric, I'm using that term in the broadest possible sense. We we have literally heard from the spring of 2020 right up until today, we have heard Doug Ford repeatedly talk about wanting to get long-term care right. He's the one who coined that colorful phrase about putting an iron ring of protection around our nursing homes, and yet he hasn't. He's actually shovelled out more money in so-called pandemic relief to some of the largest private for-profit chains who in turn have provided their shareholders with more dividends and more value. While we've seen heartbreaking stories, we saw a second wave that was even worse than the first wave in long-term care. He shielded the long-term care operators from liability with legislation he's passed. This is Doug Ford. And so there's a there's a really big gap between what Doug Ford has consistently said about nursing homes and long-term care and elder care, generally speaking, And what he's really delivered on. And so, yeah, they've said it again today in the throne speech. I guess we'll see if there's anything real there that they're able to accomplish in the next six or seven months. But I'm just really concerned. A ton of empty rhetoric and nothing tangible or real so far.
4: And what should we have seen on that file?
1: On the long-term care file? Yep. Yeah, I think so I think a real clear sense that they know how they're going to get, I mean, three and a half years into their mandate, to still talk about that 10-year horizon for the number of beds they want to build, I think that's a concern because it feels really delayed to me. Secondly, when they talk about beds, I prefer to talk about spaces when we're talking about elder care or long-term care as opposed to beds. One of the things that I've stressed to my own team, and I've said this publicly before, I think we need a new model, and I recognize this has been a dysfunctional or broken model for many years, including when we were in, liberals were last in power. I think we need to move away from, I'll call it the institutionalization of our seniors, uh, building massive campuses, large structures, and I think we have to find a way to let people stay in their own homes, community based home care models, um, you know, looking at, I I hate to use the term, but I will anyway, group home style, residential like settings, smaller settings where Where people who need a certain level of care or intervention can get it, but they're not warehoused the way that we have done for far too long in this province. So those are a couple of examples of permanent increase for personal support workers. I, a wage increase, I think is important. I know the feds have committed to that. I want to see that happen. Better you know, infection prevention and control measures. There's a whole series of things we need to do. all of us. It's not just Doug Ford, like all four main political parties plus the people of Ontario need to do in this regard, and it's it's already overdue. Uh,
4: so in terms of uh, this setting them up for the election, what's your view of that?
1: Well, I think that they've got to, look, they've made it pretty clear since about April or May that they have two or three, this is Doug Ford and his campaign team, they have two or three different things they're going to do. Number one, they're going to send Doug Ford into chronic uh, chronic hiding. <laughs> he, he barely appeared at all over the summer. I know he used the excuse of the federal campaign. I think he spoke to media maybe twice over the entire summer. Uh, he didn't actually talk to media today on the day of his own throne speech. I've heard rumblings from other reporters that he's not going to be in the legislature necessarily tomorrow for question period. So it's they're, they're pretty much telling the people of Ontario that they know politically The more people see Doug Ford, the less likely they are to support Doug Ford. So they're going to keep him in hiding for the next number of months as much as they possibly can. Secondly, they're going to talk a really good game about investing in health care and investing in long-term care, even though for for most of their time prior to the pandemic, they had done nothing but destabilize public health care with cuts to things like public health. And number three, I think they're telegraphing pretty clearly that at some point between now and the next election, they plan to deliver or announce some kind of tax relief for the people of Ontario. Uh, and we'll see what the details are of that whenever they might announce those details, and I'll respond to it at that point in time. But I think that's their plan, healthcare, long-term care, tax cut, keep dug in hiding, and hope to get through the next election campaign. Uh,
4: what about, uh, you know, they were very clear that they want more money from the federal government in transfer payments for healthcare. Um, what, what did you make of that ask? Or demand well, so, or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I look I, I I support the need for a better deal with the with the government of Canada. I have now for a number of years. We talked about it a lot when we were last in power. I do think the feds need to deliver more. And and most importantly, Justin Trudeau was just reelected with a platform that included an increase of transfers to the province for things like to the province is for things like more nurses, more doctors, that permanent wage increase for personal support workers. So I, I will echo Doug Ford's call <clears throat> for more support, more money from the federal government to get those areas right. But, but here's the challenge that I have, Libby. You know, it's taken, while eight other provinces and territories have gotten childcare deals, for example, we don't have one here in Ontario, and I fear that that's because Doug Ford has kind of ragged the puck. On the issue of childcare, you know, maybe he wants the money from the feds, but he doesn't want to adhere to any standards uh, or any or any uh, you know any strings, if I can put it that way, or conditions the feds might have in place. I'm fearful that he will end up doing the same thing in healthcare. Hey, he'll say to the feds, "Hey, just give me all the money in the world and don't attach any strings to it. Don't apply any standards or conditions to it." And I, I think that the the needs in Ontario for more nurses, more doctors, uh, better compensation for personal support workers are so extreme. I think we need more money for the feds, but if I become premier next year, I'm okay with standards. Conditions don't scare me because I'm, I'm, I'm determined to deliver the outcome. I don't need a blank check. I actually want to get a good deal, but I want to get money into the system and get more nurses in our hospitals and elsewhere so people get the care that they deserve, and that's what I'm, I'd be focused on.
4: And, and the same for national standards for long-term care?
1: I'd be perfectly fine with national standards for long-term care. Absolutely fine with that. I mean, again, I think that there's room for the federal government to make a larger investment in that space, and I'd want to see that, and I would push for that. But standards don't scare me. I think we should all want to see stronger standards in health care, in long-term care, and then work work as hard as we can to actually deliver on those standards and adhere to them. There's nothing wrong with that. You, as a regular, everyday Ontarian or Canadian, you should want us... Everybody in this province should want us to work as hard as we can to make sure that we're, we're achieving those standards, because that's one of the challenges, right? When you don't have standards in place, it's easy for things to be out of sight, out of mind, and that, for us to end up in the disastrous situation we have with long-term care.
4: Okay. Stephen Del Duca, Liberal Leader of Ontario, thank you so much for being with us.
1: My pleasure, Libby. Thank you. Take care.
4: Okay, bye-bye. Well, the other party leaders also had their say responding to the throne speech, and now I'd like to welcome Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner. Hello, Mike.
2: Hello, Libby. hope you're having a good day.
4: Oh, why not? (laughs) Um, So uh, what did you miss most in the speech?
2: Well, Libby, I have to say that's one of the most uninspiring throne speeches I think I've ever heard. I mean, people are desperate for answers from government about how we're going to get this pandemic behind us. And some of the big issues, like the chronic nurses shortage that we're facing, Nothing about how to address it in the throne speech. Nothing about supporting small businesses with additional funding support and also support to implement the vaccine certificate. I tell you what, cases are rising in schools and parents and educators and students are saying, what's the government going to do to make sure our kids are safe and our schools stay open? Nothing in the throne speech about it. And then the premier, he said the reason he progued the legislature to have a throne speech was that he needed to respond to the federal election campaign. Well, some of the biggest issues in the federal election, $10 a day child care, not mentioned in the throne speech. The climate crisis that we're facing, we're experiencing every day, not mentioned in the throne speech. And housing affordability crisis was one of the top issues in the federal election, not mentioned in the throne speech. So, you know, I think Ontarians are left wondering well, what is the government's agenda? What was the point of this throne speech? We want to know how we're going to get through the pandemic, and we want to know what the vision is for a post-pandemic Ontario. And we didn't receive any of those answers today.
4: Uh, what about what they had to say on long-term care? How did you view that?
2: Well, I would have liked to see a commitment from the government that we're going to prioritize care over profit. So, you know, the government talked about uh, building out more long-term care beds, which we certainly need more spaces for elders, but we need to talk about What's the care associated with those beds? What is the model? We need a model that's going to prioritize care over profits. We need a model that's going to um, treat elders with the dignity and and respect they deserve. Not a medicalized model, but a model that is like, this is our home. We needed some information, you know, and some hope that the government was going to accelerate funding to ensure four hours of care faster than they had proposed in the spring budget. Because quite frankly, elders can't wait four years for four hours of care. They need it now. And so none of those, none of that was even mentioned in the throne speech, and I think elders and their families um, deserve to hear a government that says, you know what, we learned from just the humanitarian crisis that it happened during COVID in long-term care, and we're going to fix it in a way that prioritizes care over profits.
4: Uh, We were just talking to the Liberal leader, and uh, he was saying that he thinks uh, this is an election strategy to keep uh, Doug Ford out of the uh, public eye as much as possible.
2: Do you you agree with that? Well, I think the Premier needs to be held accountable for the fact that he's been missing in action for most of the summer, uh, especially at a time when I think the people of Ontario wanted to hear from their Premier that the government was doing everything possible to mitigate the spread of the fourth wave implementing all the tools necessary to avoid uh, locking down the economy again, which small businesses simply can't afford to have happen again. And we have to keep our schools open. And so the fact that, you know, the premier is not stepping up and providing that kind of leadership, Not answering the questions that the people of Ontario have, that reporters have, not being held accountable, I think is deeply disappointing. And quite frankly, you know what? We need to be putting people before politics. And I think the government right now needs to say, hey, we're the government. We need to govern. We need to provide the province leadership. And that leadership is far more important than our political self-interest.
4: Uh, well, speaking of that, uh, in your news conference today, I heard you say that you have no interest in pursuing the national Green Party leadership. I'm just wondering, do you have anything to say about what's been going on there? Anime Paul resigned with some very serious Charges about what took place there. Then we heard from Elizabeth May trashing Annemie Paul saying she hasn't really resigned and she's not letting people speak. I, I mean, what do you uh, tell people about what the heck is going on there?
2: Well, first, Libby, I have to just be frank with folks that the Ontario Green Party and the Federal Green Party are separate parties. We have different organizational culture and governing structures, though we do share the same values. And so I, I encourage the Federal Party to take a look in the mirror, rebuild the party, address the issues around the party's organizational culture and governing structure, because I, quite frankly, we need more green voices in Parliament in Ottawa as far as myself and the party I lead and the party I control, I want to be very clear with people that our party is an inclusive party, a united party, a party that not only talks about combating systemic discrimination, sexism and racism, but backs it up with action and we've brought in a safe spaces policy and a member conduct policy and we're enforcing that policy to make sure our party is unified and inclusive for everyone we're actively recruiting uh, diverse candidates and backing it up with money for equity deserving candidates to run for us Uh, Because we believe it is vital that we have diverse voices in our party, that the provincial party is united, and that we're going to go into the provincial election, which, by the way, is only eight months away, uh, with a strong campaign, because we desperately need more green voices at Queen's Park.
4: Okay. Mike Schreiner, thank you so much. Thank you,
2: Libby. Anytime. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now.
4: We've spent most of this hour talking to the critics of the throne speech, and now let's see what the insiders think. I'm joined by John McEttitian, who is a conservative activist, political consultant, and president of the Bradgate Research Group. Hello, John.
5: Happy to be with you. Uh,
4: nice to talk to you. It's been a while. It has. So uh, everybody seems to be sure that this is uh, kind of a pre-election throne speech. Do you see it that way?
8: Uh, Well, that's pretty much stating the obvious when it's eight months before uh, a set calendar election. So, yes, of course it is.
4: And, uh, you know, if you had to grade it, did you like what you heard there?
8: Yeah, you know what, it's given our circumstances, it's really hard to uh, think of what could have been done differently, right? From a conservative's perspective, uh, you know, we like balanced budgets, we like paying down debt, we like being uh, responsible and ready for any kind of big economic disaster. And where we are is coming out of a big economic disaster, right? Because while all the focus in the last 18 months may have been on the, the human story and the human tragedy and the Uh, you know behind that with covid has been this economic sunsumi that's hit our economy uh, both with people not working but in business failures and how do we restart that so you know for for every business that's gone under so far i i would bet there's another five that are on the verge of failing and are hanging on with by their fingernails and i think uh Uh, this budget and this government is, uh, you know, the right one, the budget throne speech. Uh, We'll see the budget shortly. All of that is what's needed to grow the economy and save people from a worse situation than we're in.
4: What did you hear as the government's priorities heading into this?
8: Um, I I, I think it's uh, the, the reality, right? Like I say, conservatives would be normally grumpy because they would look for more financial restraint. But... You know, there's a time for that, and that's not it. Uh, You know, the focus is on growing the economy, uh, helping people survive, helping people re-engage and get out there. And, and, you know, while there's a lot of uh, focus in the everyday media about, you know, how many people still aren't vaccinated, uh, you know, we're in the situation where four to five are, but there's still a, a hesitancy, right, Uh, You may have uh, 30,000 people going to a ball game. I went to my first baseball game in two years uh, on Saturday. But, you know, on the way in and out, people are wearing masks. People are being careful. But the restaurants aren't full. The bars aren't full. And if they are, they're operating on limited hours with limited people. So we need people to go back and embrace life again and get out there and live fully. And that's what's going to drive our economy and you know that's where the government's setting out its priority to get us you know back on track and fully running again.
4: What did you think of what the government had to say about long-term care? First of all did you take it as a mea culpa taking responsibility and, and where does that sit in their list of priorities and list of what people will be thinking about when they head into uh, the voting booth?
8: I, I think it was a mea culpa. I think it's, uh, you know, certainly no party is uh, faultless. Um, you know, long-term care is something that's evolved over the course of time and not been what any of us would really want if we were designing something from scratch, right? It's really been a hodgepodge system that uh, for the most part has been on some verge of a brink that we always got away with until we hit a pandemic that specifically targeted people that were retired and living in retirement homes. And that's, that's where, you know, the system clearly failed, uh, failed system-wide, uh, failed because of lack of preparation and protocols that should have been learned the last time the conservatives were the government uh, under SARS, you know, uh, you know, long before the, the liberals had 15 years. And then, you know, we weren't prepared because of the lack of PPE uh, that the Liberals threw out. So nobody's blameless, but, you know, there's only so much uh, use in, in, in navel-gazing, right? What's needed is moving forward. So what's the future going to be? And there has been a lot of steps taken in the last year because of the pandemic. But, but even there, it's it's still not the system that we would want and to hold up as an ideal. And I'm hoping, like our education system... Uh, and like our health care system, that's something that hopefully moving forward now, you know, we've got a good cabinet minister there, one of the brightest minds in the government at the helm of uh, long uh, care homes, that that should put us in good stead for what's to come in the future.
4: Uh, The opposition is uh, saying, hey, the strategy is uh, to keep Doug Ford out of the public eye as much as possible. They're making jokes about him being in hiding. Uh, What do you say to that?
8: Well, you know, opposition parties have to say things to uh, try to uh, have people not pay attention to themselves. And depending on what political leader or what level of government, they're more successful than others. I think our prime minister just proved how artful he was at that and get, being able to uh, return with as many seats as he left with. Whereas if you look at the Ontario example, right, I mean, uh, um, you know, our Green Party leader is a nice guy, but he doesn't have any seats. Uh, you know, if he went crazy and doubled his number of seats, he'd be at two. Uh, the Liberal Party has a leader that nobody can tell you the name of, and they're not actually in in the Ontario Parliament with enough seats to be a political party. And then that takes us to who could, if Ford fell, or if things fell apart for the provincial government, who could be our next premier, would be, you know, uh, Andrea, you know, the leader of the NDP, who I think this is the fourth or fifth election she's going into. And really, she's had a terrible performance during the entire pandemic and holding the government accountable in any real way.
4: Uh But again, is uh, is Doug Ford uh, in hiding? Is he being held back? Was he overexposed?
8: Um, Yes, the overexposure thing is a difficult play, right? Like, normally you would say absolutely. But given the pandemic, uh, what people wanted, and we saw that federally with the prime minister, right? We saw him on the front uh, porch of the cottage every morning, and we saw the premier shortly thereafter in the studio We wanted to see our leaders. We wanted to be led. We wanted to know what was going on from the top person in each government. And, you know, similarly with John Tory in Toronto, but the reality is now we're moving into normal. We're not normal yet, but we're well on our way. And in any sense of normal government from anything, all of us have seen our entire lives. You don't have the first minister of any government out there talking every day. They have a cabinet. They have people in charge of different aspects. And, you know, I think we're returning to normal where you will see the, the premier at the appropriate time when there's a need to have him out front, but that's not every day.
4: Okay. Uh, 10 seconds. Anything you want to leave us with?
8: Um, you know what? It's, it's been a hard time. And I got to tell you, uh, I think the, the biggest contribution of the pandemic has been everybody now understands the value of mental health and how that has changed and how that is so wide. And I think the, the best thing we can do to help all of our friends, families, and neighbors is to, uh, as we're allowed to, spend time with them and get out there and be with people.
4: Okay, nice message to end on. John Mcetitian. thanks so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. And that is all the time we have for today.
0: Fight Back with Libby Nimer is produced by Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Jordan Chakravarti and Jeremy Logan. Check out the Fight Back podcast anytime at Zoomeradio.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy birthday to
1: you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha.
3: No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.